Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. We're turning to Exodus chapter 13 this morning. Exodus 13, if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one. There might be a couple still left on the table. We have more here for certain. <clears throat> we have been journeying through Exodus for uh, quite some time at this point, so it probably doesn't even mean anything to say how long it's been. It's been a long time. Uh, examining how God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. Our journey through the book of Exodus has been to observe how God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. Uh, If you're joining us today for the first time, here is the briefest recap that I can give you from chapter 1 to where we'll be this morning. A family of 70 people, the Bible says. A family of 70 people went into Egypt, and at the time of Exodus 13, they are very likely over a million people now. This is over hundreds of years. This is not some rapid growth concept. This is hundreds of years that they've been in Egypt, and they've grown from 70 people to quite possibly more than a million. We do have a number that we'll examine next week. They were enslaved and mistreated by wicked men, An evil king and his people enslaved them and put them into bondage and in chains and oppressed them as slaves in their land. However, hundreds of years before a chain or a whip touched their bodies, the Lord God promised deliverance for his people. He has appointed Moses to lead his people out. Pharaoh and Egypt are refusing to obey God. God, through Moses, has said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh has had 10 opportunities, we could even argue 11, but we'll stick with 10, opportunities to obey and let them go. And he and the people of Egypt have refused to obey. This refusal to obey brought the 10 plagues on Egypt. And in the 10th plague, The Lord God killed the firstborn of every home, both man and beast. The firstborn son of every home and beast, Exodus chapter 12 tells us that there was not a house in which a wailing cry was not heard. It touched every home. This refusal brought the judgment of God on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And in this final judgment, the tenth plague, alongside of the judgment, God offers deliverance from the judgment that his people also deserved. This point cannot be let go of. We can't simply look at the story of Pharaoh and Egypt and the people of Israel and say, Egyptians got what they deserved. That's true. But when we look at it, we must remind ourselves that so too did the people of Israel deserve the same judgment. And God provided through the Passover meal, the the feast, the celebration of Passover, God provided a lamb, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of the home in which the people dwelled, spared the firstborn of that home. God passed over those homes and did not execute his judgment. He gave the Passover feast. He gave the feast of unleavened bread. These are ways for the people of Israel to remember. We looked at this several weeks ago. To remember and to testify about what God had done for them and among them in delivering them from the oppression of the Egyptians. Among the many instructions that come, I want to remind us that for those who have been here all along, we're still stuck in that sundown to sun up on the 14th, 15th day of the month. We haven't moved out of that time period. We're still in that. It says that the Lord went about the land of Egypt at midnight. We're still in that space. We've not left it. And among the many instructions that come to Israel in that moment, that time preceding their deliverance and the exodus, there were instructions that came regarding their future. Exodus chapter 13, if you'd follow along, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to move down and read 11 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. 
Then Moses said to the, I'm sorry, verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all the first, all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we are gathered here to learn from you. By the power of your Spirit, according to your word, we are seeking that you would instruct us, your people. As we read the instructions that you gave to your people in ancient Israel, we now, here in our day and our time, seek instruction from you. And we praise you that you have given instruction in your word. We praise you that we can learn from our ancient heritage as Christians, the people of Israel. So, Father, in this time, would you instruct us? Father, I pray that in the preaching and teaching of your word, by the power of your spirit, that you would humble the sinner to repentance and salvation. I pray, God, that holiness would be promoted among your people, that we would be holy as you call us to be holy. And I pray that Christ the Savior is exalted. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. I entitled the sermon, Set Apart to the Lord. You can see it down in verse 12. You shall set apart to the Lord. From today's text, may we understand, here's your thought to key in on. May we understand that through and though our deliverance and redemption depends solely on and come by freely the merciful hand of God. Our deliverance, our redemption depends solely on and comes freely by the merciful hand of God. It still costs us something. This is important. So much so that I wrote important in big bold letters so that I would make sure we understand. God's deliverance and God's redemption cannot be earned. We are not saved from our sin and from our bondage because we have done anything. We have been examining over 13 chapters so far ancient Israel trying to get out of slavery and out of bondage and they could not do it. And they are representative of every person born in the world into the bondage of sin. You cannot escape bondage on your own. And you cannot earn redemption out of bondage. God's deliverance and redemption depends solely on and comes freely by God's mercy. Cannot be earned, but it costs us. It's freely given, and we pay a price. As we examine Exodus 13, 1 and 2, and 11 through 16, I pray that we will understand how this deliverance and redemption is free and what it costs us. Verse 1, actually, if you'll notice verse 2, the very first word, consecrate. And then down in verse 12, set apart to the Lord. This is an old word. How many of you before today have ever heard the word consecrate? Show me your hand. You've heard the word consecrate? Yes! Mm. Awesome. Glad we have heard it. How many of you know what it means? You heard it, but you know what it means. Okay. I would be happy if as many hands went back up, but that's why we're going to examine Scripture today. Consecrate, to set apart. In delivering and redeeming the people of Israel, God 
now asks that they give him something. Okay? Pay attention. I'm going to redeem you by a strong hand. It will take a strong hand to bring you out from under Pharaoh's control. And he is doing all that he has said he would do in delivering them. And that strong hand finally reached its climax when it pressed down on Pharaoh and Egypt and took the life of all the firstborn in the land. That hand has reached its full strength. And Pharaoh has said, get out. God did that for the people of Israel when the people of Israel could do nothing to get that to happen. God did it. They are now, after God has done this, to respond by giving. Everything that's happened has been God's work among them, and now God is saying, look it, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is to first open the womb, both of man and of beast, is mine. Set apart To the Lord, all that first opens the womb. The instruction is from God through Moses to Israel. Look what he says. Whatever is the first to open the womb. Now, it's interesting. I have a note later on, but we need to take note of something very important right now. When are they to do this? Are they to do this while the angel of whatever we may think it was, the Lord, struck the firstborn in the land of Egypt? Are they to do this during the Passover meal? Are they to do this in the seven days of unleavened bread? When are they supposed to do this? Among all the other instructions, now I've got to go take a head count, find my firstborn, and do what with them? No, verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers. So now they have what they are supposed to do and when they are supposed to do it. This is a future direction for the ancient people of Israel. When you are delivered out of Egypt and when you come into the land that I swore to give you, then you shall consecrate to me all of the firstborn of, the, of man and of beast, every firstborn among you. Now, a note on firstborn. How many firstborns are in the room today? I'm curious. Hold them higher. I want to see firstborns. Awesome. Very cool. Firstborns. I'm not a firstborn. I'm a third. I like to say I'm... That doesn't matter. Anyway. <clears throat> firstborns. Firstborns are special, aren't they? I married one. She's super special. Firstborns are special people. How many of you are a younger sibling to a firstborn? Mm-hmm. Firstborns are special people, aren't they? I didn't experience this. My brothers and I, there's a large age gap, so I didn't experience all that I observe in the family order when there are firstborns. Um, but firstborns are special people. There, there's something in a firstborn. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't understand it. But if you were to line up families and start assessing birth orders and families, you're going to find that firstborn, there's something. I don't know. It's, it's something that happens. Maybe there's a psychological reason. Here, God says, give me the firstborn of of man and of beast. Now, I want to make a distinction because God's word makes a distinction. Every firstborn of man among your sons. Now, God is, is giving a further clarification of what firstborn is to be given. Sorry, firstborn daughters, you were not given to the Lord. If we're in the context of ancient Israel, it is firstborn sons that are given. Every firstborn of man among your sons, further down in verse 14, we see where it's clarified, says, when in time your son asks you, what does this mean, you will say to him, why? We need to understand that in the ancient culture, and even I believe still alive in the world today, but certainly not as practiced as in this ancient culture and in cultures still around the world today, the firstborn son is the pride of the family. It's the joy. The firstborn son is the hope and the future of the family. The firstborn son in this ancient culture is to whom the lion's share of the father's wealth and whatever he has will pass to as he carries on 
the name of his family. This is something we also don't understand, especially in our mixed melting pot society of America where we come from every different culture and society around the world and we don't even, do we even really have a culture in America? I don't know. But name doesn't mean what it used to. And so if you were the firstborn son, let's consider Moses himself had firstborn sons. If you're the firstborn son of Moses, you've got something to carry on in being the firstborn. They would set their hopes, their futures. People, these are points. Before you zone out on me being a nerd about the Bible, these are points that make so many stories in Scripture so incredible because God uses unfirstborn all the time. He doesn't use what we would consider to be the best among us, if you will. When Israel gave their firstborn in their ancient customs and their culture, they were giving the very best of themselves. This is carried on far beyond just the giving of the firstborn here. You can read about in, uh, gosh, Numbers, Leviticus, I'm going to forget the chapter, but both of those have a lot of great parallel commentary to this. You can read about the festival of first fruits, where they were to bring the first, which is the best, of their harvest and give it to the Lord. They're supposed to give the best of what they have, have seen produced among them. This is not to diminish a firstborn daughter before ladies would be upset. This isn't to diminish that at all. In their ancient customs, daughters were expected, it was an expectation that was set by the family that the daughter would marry a husband of the father's choosing as agreed upon by him and the father of a, of a young man, consider Mary and Joseph in this holiday Advent season, Mary and Joseph come together. How do we think that happened? Culturally, we have a clue. It was arranged for them. This is why when, man, if you understand that, all of a sudden it says Joseph is afraid to take her. Why? Because he didn't have any choice in this matter, but she's with child. What have you done to me? What are you setting me up for? The daughter would have been given to a son from another family and she would share in whatever that son received from his father. It's not that she wouldn't go without a blessing, you understand. It was an expectation in their culture. You will grow, you will marry, and you will provide that family with more men to carry on. This is a patriarchal society that in America we simply don't understand. We've lost it, and in today's ways and customs of the world, to even talk about such things. You want to spark a water cooler debate tomorrow at work? Bring up patriarchy. Trust me, the world knows what that is right now. And they don't like it. You know why? Because it's God's design. And the world hates God. They're to give the best of themselves. Every firstborn of man, every firstborn of animal, give. Consecrate. Consecrate to me. What does this word mean? I think that Perhaps Christians used to have a, a better idea of what the word consecrate means because there was a song that we used to sing all the time written in the late 1800s that said, take my life and let it be. Take my words, take my movements, take my thoughts, take my heart, take all of me and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. To consecrate, several meanings, but they all have to do with this. You can write this down, consecrate to be set apart as holy, to be holy, or for a holy purpose. Consecration has to do with holiness. Consecrate. When God says consecrate to me in verse 2, when he says set apart to the Lord in verse 12, he is saying they are to be holy. Set them apart as holy. Set them aside for holy Purpose. Now, this is not to diminish the holiness of the entire family, but they were to take the first and set it to the Lord as holy. 
The Hebrew word here for consecrate, if you're reading other translations, uh, I believe there are only, there were three words that I found across many different translations, versions of the Bible, and it's consecrate, sanctify, and devote unto me. Those are the three different terms that you may find across your varied versions of English Bible in your hand. The Hebrew word is the word kadash, because I am such an expert in ancient languages. That's how I'm going to say it. The ancient word is kadash. This is interesting, and we need to pay attention to it. Here's why. Moses wrote five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He's the author of five books, the first five books, the Torah, the Pentateuch. This is the second time he has used this word. Pastor, why is that important? Here's why. Because the first time he uses it is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. I wrote it down so I wouldn't misquote it. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. If we are an original reader, which is how we should always work and strive and attempt to understand God's word, if we're the original reader of the law of Moses, remember no cross-references, no chapters, no verses, no indexes, line upon line upon line upon line of ancient writing. If we are memorizing, as young Jewish boys would do, as young Hebrew boys, as they still do, if we are memorizing, not a verse, we are weak, church. Not a verse, not a passage, not a chapter. Young Hebrew boys would memorize the Torah, Genesis 1, to the end of Deuteronomy. I worked with my firstborn son when he was four, five years old. My goal was that by the time he was seven or so, we would have memorized Genesis 1 and John 1. Would you like to know how that went? It didn't. We got some of it, and then I failed. What does that mean? In order for a young Hebrew boy to memorize the Torah, there must be diligent work on the part of parents, and they would memorize it. Memorize. So, uh, what, Pastor, what are you talking about? Okay, listen. The first time God uses, uh, the first time that Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses the word Kadash in Genesis 2 3, as we are memorizing and going through the Torah and committing to memory God's law to us, it's going to be significant the next time we see that word. The firstborn of Israel are to be set apart, you understand in the same way that God set apart the seventh day and God blessed the seventh day. We're going to learn more about the seventh day as we go along. The Sabbath day, the seventh day. If you're an ancient Israelite person, that seventh day is something. And in ancient Israel, to put the firstborn son on the level of the Sabbath day is extreme. Do you understand? That's what's just happened. It's used first in Genesis 2, verse 3. It's used for the second time right here in Exodus 13, verse 2. Set them apart as holy. Now, we all, in our minds, went somewhere when I mentioned the Sabbath day. Don't do anything. Do nothing. No work. No nothing. Don't do anything on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, the, the seventh day. Now, in our minds, let's understand that God's word has just instructed ancient Israel to put their firstborn on a level of holiness that is comparable to that seventh day, okay? Let's move forward. This is what they were supposed to do. God has said, give them to me, consecrate them to me, set them apart as holy to me. How? How do they do? What do they do? What is this? I want you to notice that in this passage, verse 11 through 16, there are really only two subjects that are mentioned. Maybe you took note of it. The donkey and the son, Okay, I, I shared briefly just a moment ago that Leviticus and Numbers both provide excellent commentary. I'm going to refer to a couple of verses uh, in a moment as we go along. They both provide excellent commentary to what's going on here. This is given before the law of God on the mountain. We need to understand where we are. In, in Egypt, when God is giving Moses all this instruction, there's still 40 days, however long the journey is, we'll figure it out before God gives them the law. But what he gives them here is part of the law. They will carry on this 
this act, this observance of redemption. It goes deeper than just a donkey and a firstborn. It covers many more animals. Leviticus and Numbers both talk in great length about it. Let's deal first with the donkey. Redeem a donkey with a lamb or break its neck. And everybody said, what? Redeem a donkey... Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. How many of us just said, Lord? And you can bet they were asking questions. Like, it's not wrong to ask questions. Let's not think that God doesn't let us ask questions. Do what? Redeem the donkey or break its neck. The rule coming before the law on Mount Sinai, but a part of the law on Mount Sinai. That law, which we will begin examining in Exodus chapter 20, includes clean and unclean animals, right? Ancient Israelites, I'm going to answer a lot of questions for people that have people in their life that don't eat certain things because they think the Bible tells them not to eat them. So you all need to pay attention. Ancient Israel had lists of animals that God said you cannot eat them. You can eat these, you cannot eat these. You can use these, don't touch these. Now, we are all familiar, pay attention, we are all familiar with people who say Christianity is nothing but a big long list of do's and don'ts. And how many of us combat that by saying, no, no it's not, you're wrong, don't tell people that. Following Christ is a walk that has a list of do's and don'ts. And they are set by God. And when we start to interfere with the rules that God made, we are leading them astray. So help them understand. Well, I understand why you have that view. I understand why you think that. I, I, I corrected a few young children earlier today. Parents help me. The school doesn't really want the kids on the bleachers and on the stage and stuff. And if you know me at all, you know that the last thing I like doing is telling kids they can't have fun in church. Because how many grew up in church where you don't have fun? Right. All hands everywhere. Right. I want kids to have fun here, but I want them to be safe and I want to respect the rules the school has set because this ain't ours. And they don't want a little kid its neck like a donkey. Okay? Right. God establishes rules. We follow God's rules. The rules of clean and unclean animals, they're set in Leviticus and in Numbers. You can find it actually in Numbers 18, identifies clean and unclean. And here's how. All you farm-type folk in the room, which are many, there are animals that have a cloven or split hoof, right? Like if we were to maybe do the, the Star Trek thing, but not, right? Their hoof is split. And there are animals who do not have split hooves, okay? Any animal with a split hoof that also chews the cud. Everybody said, that's gross. Take it up with God. It's how he made them. They have a split hoof and they regurgitate, rechew, and re-swallow food that they've eaten as their multiple stomachs process the food within them. And I know you all know better than me about stomachs and processing, but this is how it works. We are not a ruminant. We take a bite, we chew, we swallow, we're done. There are animals, ruminants, that take a bite, chew, swallow, burp it up, chew again, swallow, burp it up, chew again, and it processes. That's how God has made them to process. Clean animals were those who had cloven hooves and who, didn't, and who chewed the cud. Unclean animals may have chewed the cud but not have split hooves. Or may have had split hooves but didn't chew the cud. You understand? Clean animals... I'm trying to work slow because there's details here we need to pay attention to. Clean animals for the people of Israel had split hooves and chewed the cud. You know what a donkey doesn't have? Split hooves because they're a horse kind. Especially if you follow creation and kinds, donkey's a horse kind. They have a whole, they have like a, right? Split hooves don't sound like that when they go down the concrete. You know what else donkeys don't have? Multiple stomachs where they chew and swallow and burp it up and chew and swallow again over and over. They're not ruminants. Donkeys are an unclean animal. But what are donkeys? They're bearers of great burden. God has said, you can have a donkey. However, in order to have a donkey, 
you must redeem it with a lamb. A lamb, incidentally, which Numbers identifies cows, sheep, goats as holy animals. You can have a donkey. It's not that you can't have a donkey. It's just that if you're going to have the donkey, it has to be redeemed because it is unclean for you, my people. God to Israel, you can have a donkey, but it's unclean for you. You need to redeem the unclean animal. They must redeem it. So you're not going to wander about the camp of Israel. In just a couple weeks, we're going to be chasing them through the wilderness as they begin to disobey God as soon as he delivers them. You're not going to chase them through and find a donkey among them that hasn't been redeemed. If you have a donkey and you will not redeem it, break its neck. Why? It's unclean. It's not redeemed. If you're going to have a donkey, why would they have one? Well, not for food, but they're animals of great burden. As we enter into the season of Christmas and we over and over think about the Christmas story and we over and over watch the little drummer boy and the nativity story and the star and we see that Mary figure on that donkey. It wasn't there without redemption. When the king of all kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, the week before his crucifixion, enters into Jerusalem, what? Riding on what? A colt. The what? Full of a what? Donkey. It wasn't there without redemption. Why? Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 14 tells the people of Israel, You shall have no unclean thing among you. Deuteronomy 23, Moses is writing to them at the end of the Pentateuch before he dies and he's gone and they go into the land and he says to them, let the Lord not walk through our midst and find any unclean thing. Everything within the sphere of the people of Israel was to be redeemed, to be cleansed through redemption. Redemption price for a donkey is a lamb. If it will not be redeemed, it remains unclean. If it's unclean, it cannot be used. If it cannot be used, it is useless. And it is to have its neck broken and it is to be discarded. And you can argue with that all you want, but that's simply all that God says about the matter to Moses, to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 13. Then the son, redeem every firstborn of man among your sons. Note, when he gets into the sun, you'll note that they're not given a, well, if you won't redeem it, break its neck option with the sun. I don't know if that stood out to you, but it really stood out to me. As I read scripture and saw, just, if you won't redeem a donkey, break its neck. Moving on, with the sun, redeem it. Redeem the sun. They're given no option otherwise. What does this look like for the sun? First, we need to pay attention to something. God says, every firstborn man among your sons, you shall redeem. If we're an original reader, we are understanding that God just put our firstborn sons in the same pool as the donkey who deserves to have its neck broken if it won't be redeemed. Do you understand? The firstborn son, the pride, the joy, the best, the hope of Israel is in the same category as the donkey at birth. Why? Because God says, you shall redeem it. Why? Because it is unclean. Following the instruction to redeem a donkey with a lamb in Exodus, we are led to understand that the redemption price for a son was also a lamb. In Numbers 18, the Lord directs Aaron and the new appointed priests of Israel to fix the redemption price, not at a lamb, but at five shekels of silver. So you understand, this is going to continue on through their history. So now, as you journey through the Christmas season and you think about Mary and Joseph taking the baby Jesus on his eighth day and meeting Simeon and Anna as they go to the temple for the rites of purification and, and sanctification and consecration, they took with them five shekels because the firstborn will be redeemed. Numbers tells us the firstborn are to be redeemed at a month old. Why? There's a lot of volatility in the first four weeks of life. 
by a month, we all know babies are getting stronger and healthier, and this is good. God says, wait for one month. Redeem them at one month. All one month old, five shekels of silver. Interesting note. Observe, whether a donkey or a son, pay attention. There is one price set to redeem an unclean donkey and a firstborn son. Firstborn sons in the room, how many of you have them? How many of you have a firstborn son in the room? Firstborn sons are special boys, aren't they? Nobody's any more special than anybody else, but firstborn sons, like, I wanted a daughter. My family all knows this. My granddad conditioned me for, you want a daughter? I'm like, I'm ready for a daughter then. And I was told it was a boy, and I was like, it's a son. I know many have perhaps wanted sons and did not get them, and perhaps you got a tribe of daughters, or perhaps you're dealing with the hurt of God not giving you children. How difficult. When a son is born, everybody responds differently. Friends who had many daughters and no son, I would watch people ask and question, when are you going to have a boy? Why would we ask that? Why would we ask that? First of all, why would we ask that? Why are we asking? Because we understand. Something in us understands there is future in a firstborn son. The name lives on. The the name of the family goes on. Maybe you're not carrying the prestige of coming from some philanthropic rich family. Maybe you're not the son of Moses, but a firstborn son is going to preserve the name of the family into the future. They redeem the donkey and the son with the same price because they are equally unclean at birth before God. Third thing to observe in the redemption of the son, pagan cultures at this time, and perhaps even still an abomination today, I suppose. We could derail here and talk about this further, but we'll save it for a later point in time. Pagan cultures at this point in time are sacrificing children in human sacrifice. Pagan cultures are taking children and offering them to the fires of Molech, and the Bible talks about it. In fact, I think I wrote it down here in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 18. God says, you shall not offer your children to Molech. History tells us offering children to Molech was tossing them into a burning fire alive. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 21 says, this profanes the name of God. You know what that means? To defile to dilute, to pollute. You've taken a holy God and you have trashed his name if you practice that. No, 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 no. The people of God will not offer their children as sacrifices like they will an animal. They will redeem them. Of a son, you will redeem. You shall redeem Every firstborn of man among your sons, those who belong to God, will be redeemed, not sacrificed, and they will be set apart to God as holy. Lastly, consecrating firstborn to the Lord may have looked different at various points in time. Now everybody's asking, how do we, how do, we do that? Imagine fathers of firstborn sons in the room that you just got this instruction from Moses and you're going, What do we do? I don't throw them to the fire, but I throw them at your feet? Like, what what do we do to consecrate our firstborn son? How do we set them aside? The animals are offered in sacrifice. The sons are redeemed. What do we do with them? It looks different, I believe, throughout various points in time. And there are a few glimpses in God's word as to what this looks like. One, it may look like giving them to the service of the temple. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, in the story of Hannah, who has a son. Oh, for this son I have prayed, and God heard my cry, and gave me this son, Samuel the great prophet, the last judge of Israel. And what does she do? He shall be here dedicated all his days. And she leaves him at the temple. She takes off. It may have looked like giving them to the priesthood. Later services in the tabernacle and the priesthood, they give them to that work. Or in the case of Mary and Joseph, it may simply look like surrendering the child to the word and instruction of God to them. What did God say? His name will be Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. 
He didn't say leave him at the temple. He didn't say give him to the priesthood. He didn't say do anything with him. He just said he will be. They go to the temple. They offer their firstborn. They pay the price. And what's it say after that? They go home. For years, at 12 years old, Jesus is still with them. He's still among his parents even when he begins his earthly ministry. Look about. Jesus, your mother, your brothers, your family may have looked differently over time how they would have consecrated their young how they would have set them apart. Why are they going to do this? Why is God saying to do this? Did you catch it? Verse 14, when your son asks in times to come, what does this mean? Why? Remember Passover? Remember the family gathered in the home at twilight on the night of the 14th and dad says, I know we've all enjoyed this lamb, but he would lift its head and he would spill its blood and he would offer the sacrifice. That's going to happen again. But the little boy may not remember the story. What does this mean? When your sons ask, what does this mean? Why do we, why do, we do this? Dad, why do, you, why do you go? Why do they go and kill the lamb? Because we will redeem the firstborn. We will redeem them. Further, why do we do it? Because God has built into his people the mechanisms needed to testify of what he has done. I won't ask for a show of hands. Let's just think back through our week. How many of you testified to the goodness of God in your life this week? Don't put your hands up. Just think. How many of you testified to the good things that God has done? How many of you were looking for, I wish I had a reason to testify. I want you to understand this and not forget it. You have it. Just as Israel was given all they needed, why did they do this? They are to talk about salvation with their family all the time. Every first month of every year on the 14th day, they kill a lamb, they eat the Passover meal, then they don't eat leavened bread for seven days. Why? So that they can say, it is by a strong hand that God led us out of Egypt. You'll note in chapter 13, four times. Verse 3, verse 9, verse 14, verse 16. By a strong hand, by a strong hand, by a strong hand. Why do you go to church? Why in the world is your church gathering in a tent on a lawn on Christmas Day and New Year's Day? Because it is by a strong hand that God led us out of bondage to sin and to the kingdom of his beloved son. Deliverance and redemption of Israel came at a cost. The cost was the firstborn of every house in Egypt. God took the life of every firstborn son and animal in Egypt and brought his children out. Their redemption cost, but it was free to them. They have Passover. They have unleavened bread. They have consecration of the firstborn. It's all intended for them to talk about the saving work of God among them and for them. So what do we do? Pastor, that's great. Are we supposed to go give up our firstborn now or what? Do I need to go get my animals and my kid firstborn? I need to do something with them? Well, I don't know. Maybe, but no. Let's catch a greater point that I hope as I've gone on, you have all started to pay attention to and understand. What do we do? First, let's clearly understand the firstborn. Israel was delivered and redeemed by God's strong hand. And out of their deliverance, they are to hand over the best, the first that God gives them to God, set apart as holy. The firstborn were to be set apart, to be holy, for a holy purpose. The firstborn no longer existed in the home or in the barnyard for the desire and the, 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 the purpose of the parent or the owner. Do you understand? Because when our kids are born, we have a lot of desires for them, don't we? We have a lot of purpose for our children when they're born. You may have a donkey that you have a lot of desire and purpose for out there, but it needs to be redeemed. It needs redemption. The people of Israel were to redeem the firstborn, to redeem the donkey, and they were to surrender their desire and their purpose to the desire of God and to the desire of his purpose. How many in the room are so bold to say, I believe in Jesus Christ through faith He's my Savior. I am saved. I'm waiting for glory. How many are so bold? How many know it? You're saved. By this you shall know that you are saved, right? You know it. How about the firstborn hands again? Can I see the hands of those that are firstborn again? All right, firstborn. 
And then can I see the hands again of the, I'm saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Forget your birth order here on earth. Welcome to the firstborn. You are directly connected to the firstborn of God. Your birth order in this life is simply an assignment you've been given while you trod this earth full of sin and wickedness. The family you belong to, you are a firstborn. Romans, Corinthians, Colossians, Hebrews, James, and Revelation, every one of these writings refer to Jesus Christ as the firstborn. Colossians goes so far to say that he is preeminent. Christ is unlike the rest of the firstborn, but we're firstborn with him. Wow! He's unlike the rest of his firstborn. It is through Christ that your profession of faith is made. It is through Christ that you are saved. Peter wrote, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, According to God's great mercy, God has caused us to be born again. Born again. Conversion. An often not talked about word. Isn't it Muslims that seek converts? Is it No, no, no. Christians are seeking converts. We are seeking to see people converted. Not saved, not a new better life. Changed. Converted. Conversion, the invisible work, the internal work of God, bringing dead souls to new life. We become firstborn of God when we are, as Jesus says in John 3, born of the Spirit. God causes us to be born again. James writes, chapter 1, verse 8, of God's own will, he brought us forth. Brought us forth. (laughs) The Bible is so awesome. Galatians, when the fullness of time had come, she brought forth. Luke chapter 2, in the fullness of time, she brought forth, brought forth of God's own will. He brought us forth. You understand that is caused to be born again. James 1, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that is the gospel, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Firstborn, first fruits. Through faith in Christ, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. I've read it so many times in this week. It just took on new meaning for me. Hebrews 12, 23. We, through faith in Christ, come to the assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven. Like all of you younger born can be like, I'm firstborn with you through faith in Jesus. You belong to a family where all of the children are treated like the firstborn. God looks at his people, and your firstborn, and your firstborn, and your firstborn, and your firstborn, you are firstborn of God into his family. Through faith in Jesus, we come to that assembly enrolled in heaven. Depending on your position today, I don't know. I know so many of you, I love so many of you so dearly, but I don't know your heart, only God does. Depending on your position right now, right here, on this day, December, whatever it is, 2022, you're either a donkey that deserves to have its neck broken, or you have a father who gave a lamb and redeemed you from your uncleanness. Every person, everywhere. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we find a heavenly Father who redeems, having offered the Lamb, Jesus Christ. He redeems us from our uncleanness. He sets us apart as holy to be holy for holy purposes, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb as we live out our lives. Remember that thought? Our redemption, our deliverance, it comes freely by God, but it costs us something. Why? Because as you live out a holy life, you're going to lose friendships, relationships, statuses. You may lose jobs. You may lose life and limb. You may be in a foreign country where they kill you for the testimony of Jesus Christ and you lose your life. Our holiness costs us, but we are born of a God through a Savior who has redeemed us to be holy. In our redemption, we are to offer the best of ourselves to God to recognize our lives as out of our own hands. To recognize your life 
as not to be lived according to your desire and purpose. To walk daily according to the desire and purpose of him who called you. I struggle not living for my own desire, but I am called to live not for my desire, but for God's. Our lives are to be lived holy as a testimony and a witness. We're going to engage with more people over the next five weeks of our lives than we typically do all year long by the nature of how our society lives December and January. And you, Christian, are called to be holy in the midst of it all. Set apart by your Father, redeemed by the blood of a lamb for holy purpose in the lives of those people that you will be with. Have you trusted Christ by faith? Has the blood of the lamb redeemed you? Has the Father redeemed you? Let's pray. Father, we come to you mindful God that you are holy and we by nature have been born unclean in need of redemption. Father, many in the room so willing and so bold to raise their hands as saved through faith in Jesus Christ and for this I am so thankful. So in this moment, Father, we say thank you for redeeming us donkeys deserving a broken neck. According to the blood of the Lamb, you have redeemed us. Father, thank you for adopting us as sons and daughters of your kingdom. We call you Abba, Father, through faith in Christ. You have redeemed us. And though we were like the donkey, you call us your children Thank you, God, for those in the room who perhaps have heard things of faith but have not trusted the work of Christ, have not received the gospel, believed. Father, save them. Give them new birth. Convert a dead soul to new life. Father, we praise you. As we go today, we sing, be unto your name, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We thank you, Father, for the blood of the Lamb and for the redemption we find through faith in Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.